0: And you guys are in a fellowship mode or something like that. Wow. That's great. That's good. I, I figured I was just going to let it go for a while, you know, and see. I don't know how long it could go. and probably just kept going on. You guys doing good tonight? Good. Are you overwhelmed with Jesus? Amen. Thanks, Jeremy, for singing that song. Uh I don't want to think about it too much. I just start kind of bawling like a baby. Uh, I was thinking, you know, I've walked with Jesus for a long, long time, but I'm still overwhelmed with him. I really am. And, uh, you know, one day we'll see him face to face, all of us together. Not just this church, all of the churches throughout the entire planet. And we'll gather together before the throne of God. Amen. Amen. I can't wait for that. I really, really can't, you know, I, I taught at the end of February, it's been a long time, you know, we've got some of our young, you know, pastors in the future coming up here and sharing and stuff, so my rotation's a little bit longer than it used to be, and uh, I had a great time the last time teaching at Daniel's talking about the last days, talking about the Antichrist and the beast and all of that, I eat that stuff up, I hope you guys do too. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, we're not looking at it tonight, but this is what it says. You should know this, Timothy. This is old Pastor Paul speaking to this young Pastor Timothy. That in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and they will hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And he says this to Timothy, stay away from people like that. Those are the perilous days that you and I are living in. I hope you realize that. I mean, when you read that, you go, my gosh, that's exactly what's going on here today. You know, tonight we are getting to the second to the last chapter of Daniel. You know, Daniel's a tough book, especially for the guys that get up here and teach. It's very, very tough, you know, but I believe that God has some things to say to us tonight this chapter that we're looking at tonight, especially 11 and then going into 12 when we finish up there. They're dealing with the near and the distant future of Israel. And I tell you what, at a glance, when I got this section, I thought I had another one. And then all of a sudden I looked at it again. I went, wow, this is a tough one. This is a real tough one. And for anybody who teaches, they know what I mean. When I looked at this, I went, Lord, what in the world am I going to get out of this? Because it is a very, very tough section. It truly is. Um, it presents challenges. It truly does. And, uh, but as I was praying over this, you know, and that's usually what I do. I shouldn't say usually. I do it all of the time. I just begin to seek God and say, God, you've got to give me something. And he does. He does every time. And he does that for us, too. You need to know something from God. You've heard me say this over and over again. Just ask him, guys. He'll tell you. And I really believe that God's given me something tonight that I think you'll be able to take home with you. And that's what I want. I want you to take something home tonight, something to spark your thinking process and maybe something, just something that you can say, yeah, I think I can do this. I I, I want to see this happen in my life. Before we begin tonight, I want to recap chapter 10, and Jeremy taught it last week, I know that. He taught on the vision of the messenger, the one who was dressed in linen. You know, who was that guy? Some people think that maybe it was the appearance of Christ, you know. I don't know if that really was Christ or not. Where's Jeremy? Did Jeremy say it was Christ last week? No? Good. I don't think that it was. And the reason why I don't think so is because, and probably Jeremy pointed it out, I know he's a thorough teacher, is that uh, this person dressed in linen, this white, in this white linen, needs, needed help from Michael, the archangel. And Jesus doesn't need any help, guys. You know what I'm saying? He really doesn't. We need his help, but he never needs our help. He really doesn't. But I love what the angel told Daniel, and it really stuck out to me. He says, you're very precious to God. And he said it to him two times. And for some of you that are here tonight, you heard it last week, but I'm going to say again to you, that you're very precious to God. Very precious. I got a little grandkid, he's in three years old, and I tell you what, that little guy's so precious to me and his grandma. So precious. And God spoke to my heart and said, You're more precious than he is to you. That's how precious we are to God. Daniel, in this last of the visions that he's had through the whole book of Daniel, it just utterly just overwhelms him. And he comes into complete weakness. At this time in the life of Daniel, he's probably at least in his late 70s and maybe even in his 80s. He started as a young man, probably in his 20s, and God began to use him. But now he's in his 80s. And that's not why he lost his strength. That's not why he came to to complete weakness. It was because he was overwhelmed with how powerful this vision was of the future of Israel and the future of end times. And then Daniel's strength returned to him as the angel touched him. And as the angel spoke a word of encouragement, he gave him hope. Sometimes, don't we? We just need Jesus just to touch us. Lord, just touch me. I just need a touch. That's what I love. When we come together and we worship God, boy, that guy, guys, that's when God can really touch you. I was touched tonight through that. And I've been encouraged tonight. Let's all stand. As I read uh, the last couple verses in uh, chapter 10. And this kind of picks up on where I left right there. It said he replied this is the angel do you know why i have come soon i must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of persia and after that the spirit prince of the kingdom of greece will come meanwhile while i meanwhile excuse me meanwhile i will tell you what is written in the book of truth no one helps me against these spirit princes except michael your spirit prince let's pray God, we pray for your understanding, especially, Lord, as we look into portions of scriptures that are a little bit more difficult. I pray you'd speak to your church's heart tonight. You would give them something that they could truly see bring forth life in their own personal lives. Thank you for a church that loves to hear your word, Lord. Thank you for a church, my brothers and sisters, who love to come together and to worship you, Lord. So thankful for that. Feed us tonight, Lord. Give us the bread of life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all sit down? Ephesians 6.12 in the New American Standard says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The angel speaks to Daniel and he says, listen, I've already battled with these princes out here, these forces of darkness. And he says, I'm going to have to go fight them again. He started battling them 21 days. The minute Daniel began to pray in that section that was probably already taught, powerful section, God begins to do something when we start praying, doesn't he? He starts right then and there. He might not answer it the way you want him to answer it, but he's Going to do something. 21 days he battled. 21 days. And it appears that as you're looking at this. That there's maybe rankings in the demonic kingdom. Even in that section of scripture there. You can kind of almost see that there possibly are some rankings that are there. I looked up other verses where Paul uses almost the exact kind of phrases. He uses powers, world forces of darkness. He uses rulers. And then as he was speaking here, he said that there was the, the spirit prince. The spirit prince. And it, it seems to be that these spirit princes are over nations, are over countries. That's what it appears to be. He said he's going to have to go back and go fight two of them. The one for, that sits over and rules over, in a sense, over Persia, and the other one over Greece. Listen, there's probably one that rules over the United States of America. Probably a very, very powerful demonic being that rules over our country. And what he says here, it's interesting, is that Michael, the archangel, that is the guardian angel of God's people, Israel. He sits over there and he is there to try and to protect them. Satan dispatches and assigns strong demons. He truly does. I believe that. Satan is highly organized. Don't you think that he isn't? He truly is. He strategizes. I'm sure that they have maybe their staff meetings every Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever it might be. And I can guarantee that they strategize on what they're going to do. He's been around and he's been destroying people's lives for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It doesn't just happen, guys. He sets out and he strategizes on what he's going to do to try and to destroy your life. To find maybe your weakness or whatever it might be, and he will work on that weakness that you have in trying to destroy your life. I was started thinking, I go, wow, is there sergeants? Is there privates? You know, is there lieutenants and captains? I don't know. Probably. Probably. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Just remember that. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You know, I've been kind of telling you my ongoing saga with my neighbor. He's definitely influenced by Satan and still is. Some of the stuff that's going on in the things, and I'm not getting in the details of that, but I'm telling you, I know it. It is a very strong spiritual battle that my wife and I have been waging with this whole thing. And I, and I want your guys' prayer. I really do. So, there's warfare in the heavenly range realm. Chapter 11 predicts history. Listen to this. Over 350 years of history. And even to the end of the age. And then in chapter 12, it, it, it speaks of the Antichrist. Who's coming, guys? And might even be alive today, living in the world somewhere. The Bible critics believe that this section of Daniel really wasn't written before it happened. But after it happened, because it was so detailed, the stuff that we're going to look at tonight. Now, think about that. You see, they don't believe that God can give spiritual revelation or that God can give prophecy, things that are in the future, and he can tell us about it. Read the whole book of Revelation. It's the future. And it's coming. You want to scare one of your friends? Have them read the book of Revelation. Seriously. Have them read it. But they criticized that whole thing, you know, about that—that that it wasn't, it wasn't prophecy, but that it was history. The amazing thing about it is that this was written in 535 B.C. And uh, the interesting thing is that in the in the Greek Bible, the Septuagint, that Daniel was was put in there, and that was only written about I think 100 and one or 220 B.C. God knows all. That's it. He knows it all. So can't he tell us the future? Of course he can. Well, let's go on. Verses 1 through 2. It says this. I have been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. Now then, I will reveal the truth to you. Three more Persian kings will reign to be succeeded by a fourth, far richer than the others. He will rise Excuse me, he will use his wealth to stir up everyone to fight fight against the kingdom of Greece. The angel says, I'm going to reveal some things to you. And as I said before, God knows all. Everything's working according to his plans. There is nothing going on today that that God is surprised with. I hope you guys realize that. Nothing surprises God. You know, as parents, you know, my kids are old, they still surprise me at some of the things they do. Some of you younger parents, you know they really surprise you from time to time. God isn't surprised by anything. He truly isn't. What he basically says is there's going to be three Persian kings, and it did happen. And that the fourth one, Xerxes, was the fourth one. He was going to wage war against Greece. But yet he wasn't going to conquer it. He was going to fall a little bit short. The book of Esther shows how the Persian Empire tried to wipe out the Jewish people, but God intervened. See, God's always working behind the scene. You know what I'm saying? We don't see everything, but God's always working behind the scene in your life and in my life. We need to take courage. We need to be encouraged by that. Let's go on. Verse 3 and 4. Then a mighty king will rise to power who will rule with great authority and accomplish, notice this, everything he sets out to do. But at the height of of his power, his kingdom will be broken apart and divided into four parts. It will not be ruled by the king's descendant, nor will the kingdom hold the authority it once had. His empire will be uprooted and given to others. Can you put that picture of Alexander up there? Who's that back there? Odell? Talk about Alexander the Great. That's who he's talking about. And I want you to look at what he says there. A little quote. And I just want you to think about that for a little while. He was the son of a Greek military man. A Greek ruler. He ruled with great authority. He accomplished everything he set out to do. That's an amazing statement. How many of us have accomplished everything we set out to do? Probably not anyone in this place. But God says, through this angel to Daniel, he says, this guy's going to accomplish everything he sets his mind out to do. That's an amazing, powerful statement. And it says at the height of his power, that's going to be taken away from him. The kingdom will be broken up and divided into four parts. I think we've got a slide on that too. Do we have a slide on that? Now, maybe I don't have a slide on that. So I got that map. No, I guess I don't. Ah, there it is. It's going to be divided up. And you can kind of see how it is, and I'll talk about it a little bit more uh, as we kind of go through here. But his kingdom be broken up into four parts. Four generals will take control of this vast empire that he set out and he accomplished and took under his control. No heir will rule. He won't have a, 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 an heir who will rule and his authority will be uprooted and given away. We're going to come back to Alexander the Great, because that's what I want to finish with. And I've got some good stuff to talk about that. So we'll kind of put a little comment in there, and then we'll get back. Let's go to verse 5. And I'm trying to go through this pretty quickly, because I want to really hit in on this, the stuff that God really kind of gave in my heart. Let's look at verse 5. And I know this is history. Some of you guys aren't history buffs. When I was young, I hated history. Now that I'm a little older, well, I'm a lot older. <laughs> I like history. You know, what do they say about history? You know, if you don't learn from it, you're what, destined to repeat it. So we better learn from it, right? Verse 5. The king of the south will increase power, but one of his own officials will become more powerful than he... And will rule his kingdom with great strength. Did I do that when I read? Can I get here? There's five. Yeah, that's good. Get confused here. I was confused while I was studying, so I had to really, really study this. I want you to know that, Pastor. But I want to put the map back up again, Odie. I think I got another one of it again. This will kind of help explain it a little bit. General Ptolemy ruled Egypt. Can you see that down in the lower part there? That's the general. General Ptolemy took it. Remember how it says it'll be divided up into four kingdoms. Four generals took over that vast, huge empire. So Ptolemy, it's spelled with a P, but it's spelled Ptolemy. He ruled Egypt. And uh, Seleucus, uh, he was another of Ptolemy's officials. He rose to great power, and he took the north part. See that up there? see the south, you see the north, all right? Um, The amazing thing about these two dynasties, you know, sometimes we have, you know, disagreements with people, and maybe they last for a week or two weeks. For me, with my neighbor, this has been going on for a year, so that's a long time. These guys battled each other for 130 years. I mean, you talk about the McCoys and the Hatfields. This put this to shame, is what it did. 130 years. I was thinking, wow, if you've got 40-year generations, man, that's over three generations, probably three, four generations, five generations, that this thing just went going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the thing that's interesting is, whoever was the strongest... They're the ones that dominated the Holy Land. They're the ones that dominated Israel. Because right in the middle, see there? See where Jerusalem is? They were squeezed in between the two of them. So whoever had the most control was the one that dominated the Holy Land. That's why the angel is talking to Daniel about this whole situation here. Let's go on. Verse 6. Some years later, an alliance will be formed between the king of the north... All right, the king of the north and the king of the south. The daughter of the king of the south will be given in marriage to the king of the north to secure the alliance. But listen to this. But she will lose her influence over him, and so will her father. She will be abandoned along with her supporters. See, the plot's thickening here, is what it's doing. Let's put that slide up there next, Odie. I think we have a uh, slide of events. There you go. I was trying to find something that would help maybe not have you so confused <laughs> at what's going on here. But what happened is, remember, we, got the, we have the, the south and we have the north. And trying to bring them together, and this happened out throughout history all of the time, they would try and form a marriage. In other words, you know what? Hey, I'll just give you my, my daughter or something like that and we'll form a great alliance between the two. Well, that's exactly what happened. Ptolemy uh, Ptolemy II gave his daughter to Antiochus too, And you can kind of see that. Uh, you can see Berenices up there. See that right there? You see that kind of in the middle? Do you guys see that? You see that? All right. Matter of fact, watch this. I brought this. Can you see that right there? You like that one? That's pretty good, huh? Right there. They're Berenices, all right? I always tell my wife, I said, man, this could be so confusing. I mean, I worked on this for days trying to figure this whole thing out. But what you have there is, uh, you know, they have the marriage between the two. So Ptolemy II gives his daughter Berenices to Antiochus. And the amazing thing is when Berenices' father dies, Antius, Where do you see Antius? See him right there? Ancheus takes back, listen to this, his other wife that he got rid of for her. Did you get that one? So he booted out his first wife to take this second wife to bring the alliance together. Listen, it gets worse. So, his former wife... Uh, Leo, let's see, What Laodiceus, all right, see that, Laodiceus? And listen, I'm not good with speaking this kind of stuff, so forgive me for doing that. So Laodiceus, right here, you know what she does? She poisons the husband that took her back, and she is too. Seriously, she kills him, is what she does. And then she goes, well, maybe I need to take somebody else out. So you know what she does? She kills Berenices and her infant son. That's what she does. Now, that's an ancient Egyptian soap opera, isn't it? Where are we at here? I mean, that's pretty amazing stuff going on. That's pretty... That's bad. That's evil. That's pure evil. Well, let's go on, all right? But i just got to watch out for the butts. But when one of her relatives becomes king of the south, he will raise an army and enter the fortresses of the king of the north and defeat him. When he returns to Egypt, remember that's the south, he will carry back their idols with him, along with priceless articles of gold and silver. That's what they do. They plunder all of that stuff. For some years afterwards, he will leave the king of the north alone. Later, the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will soon return to his own land. All right? So what you've got here is <laughs> Ptolemy III. Oh, we're back up again. There you go. Ptolemy III, he should be up there somewhere. Where is he? Right there. Ptolemy III, all right? That is Berenices. Okay? The lady that got snuffed out? That is her brother. Her brother gets pretty upset. So what her brother ends up doing is he goes back and he goes after this guy right here, Seleucus Second. In other words, what he did is he went to avenge his, his sister's death. And he went back and they battled and he took the spoils back home with him. And then it says right there that he leaves the north alone for a while. So in other words, as you can see, it's kind of like going out through history years and years and years. It's just up and down. They're just battling back and forth with one another is what they do. Let's go on. However, that's another one you got to look out for, howevers. However, the sons of the kings of the north will assemble a mighty army that will advance like a flood and carry the battle as far as the enemy's fortress. So the sons of the kings of the north, okay, that's, again, I think we should have a map up there, that's Syria, Uh, they mount an attack against Egypt again. So these guys, the sons, go after Egypt back down here again, and they come in like a flood. And I was thinking, well, what do floods do? Usually you don't prepare for floods. You know what I'm saying? A while back, we had all the thunderstorms and all that, and they give flood watches and everything, just saying it could happen. So it came in quickly, unsuspecting to them. They thought everything was fine for a while, and then they come on in very quickly and unexpectedly. So what happens is that Egypt loses the Holy Land again to the kings of the north, is what happens. Let's go on. 11 and 12. Then in rage, the king of the south will rally against the vast forces assembled by the king of the north and will defeat them. After the enemy army is swept away, the king of the south will be filled with pride and will execute many thousands of his enemies. But his success will be what? Short-lived. Short-lived. So the king of the south, these guys, rally and go after those guys right there again. Full of rage, they go into battle against the vast army of Israel. Now, I'd already studied a long time, so I didn't want to find out and spend more time finding out how huge that army was. But when they say vast, that means it was big. It was a big army. They defeat them. They execute thousands of their enemies. So again, what happens is that uh, the south take back the holy land again. So it just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But now I want us to get back to Alexander the Great. You know, if they call you great, and if they put that part of your name, and I kind of looked up a little bit, you know, there's not a lot of people where they put great to their names. But when they say that you're great, that means that there's something there. This man, Alexander the Great, he was tutored by the great Aristotle. He took command of his first military When he was 18 years of age, 18 years of age, he was a military genius. He died at the age of 32. The age of 32. Some say that he died at a a drunken party in Babylon. Others say that he died of maybe malaria. they, They don't know necessarily. But even though he was a great leader, listen, this guy was far from being a Christian. He had a very sinful lifestyle. I mean, I I was thinking about, I was telling my wife, I said, you know, this guy was was like a rock star or like a a pop star nowadays. I mean, that's really how they looked up to him. And when you read things about him in history, they, they, they talk about him being that way. But the great thing that God did with Alexander the Great is that he wanted to take the Greek empire and the influence of the Greek people to the whole known world. He wanted to take their language, which was Greek, to the world. What was our New Testament Bible written in, guys? It was in Greek. It was definitely written in Greek, wasn't it? God used that man to do that. Galatians 4.4 says this, But when the proper time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born subject to the law. God brought Jesus Christ in history exactly at the right time. He used Alexander, bringing that one language to the world, and then he used the Roman Empire to build the roads and to bring peace to the known world so that that was the proper exact time that the gospel gospel could come into the world. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, it it could spread quickly and very, very easily. Any time before that or after that, it would have never happened. That's what I'm saying. See, God sets up history. I had somebody once say it, it is... His story, that's history. It's God's story. I was thinking about great leaders, and I see a lot of things in great leaders. This man definitely had this. He was driven, he was determined, he was ambitious. he was motivated. I started thinking about the guys that started Apple and Google and, and Microsoft and Uber and all of these you know things that are out there. These guys were driven. He was intentional. He was deliberate at what he did. How deliberate are we at the things that we do? How much do we plan? How purposeful are we? You know, these great people that started these things, listen, they just didn't wait for accidents to happen. They truly didn't. They made calculated choices is what they did. They took risk. They didn't always play it safe. Majority of people play life safe. This guy did. He took big, big, big chances. He faced danger. He overcome obstacles. That's what great leaders do. And great leaders work hard. You know, they're, they're willing to put in the hours, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the, the stuff that goes on. You know, our pastors, listen, I was a pastor. Our pastors... Jeff and Jeremy, I tell you what, man, they put the blood, sweat, and tears in this place. You guys don't know it, but they do it. Yeah, amen. And you ought to tell them thanks from time to time. You really should. But verse 3 really stood out to me. It said that he accomplished all that he set out to do. And when I read that, that just jumped off the page. It's like, it's like my wife slapped me in the face or something. No, I'm just kidding you. <laughs> she, she would never do that. Over 40 some odd years, he hasn't done that. So I don't think she's going to start now. But it just jumped out at me. And I said, I, I said God, how is that possible? How could he do that? And I just kind of waited on God. And all of a sudden, I just, I, I, I just heard the Lord say, he dreamed. He dreamed and he dreamed big is what he did. You know, look what it says there. There is nothing impossible to him who will try. That's a dreamer. He had a bigger dream than his father had because his father didn't do as much as what he did. He conquered it all. What inspired this guy to dream? I started thinking about that. What inspired him? I'm going, something must have inspired him. And as I did more research and as I was studying, I found out that Aristotle, that great man, he had him read Homer's Iliad. I don't know if... How many of you know what the story of, of the Iliad is? Probably not very many. But I can guarantee you've seen it on TV or in the movies. You know what it is? It's the 10-year siege of Troy. Remember Brad Pitt? Ladies... 2004, you remember him. That's the story that they're talking about there. It inspired this man to dream of his future, is what it did. It inspired him. And that's exactly what they said it did. It inspired him to do that. So this mentor knew that if he gave that to him, that maybe it would just inspire him. I want you real quickly, okay? And We're running out of time. And you guys need to listen to my instruction. Last time I had you guys do this and you didn't really listen properly. (laughs) Because if you don't do it this way, this is going to end up the whole thing here. We don't have any time. You need to, now listen, do not share one or two dreams to everybody at your table. Because if you do that, we will be here at 8.30 and we won't be there. You need to just turn to one person, all right, and just share one dream that you have. Quickly, all right, one dream or two dreams that you have of your future. Are you guys getting that? Turn to the person next to you real quick. We don't have a whole lot of time. Just real quick, real briefly. Don't tell a whole big story. A dream of your future. Something you see in the future for your life. Something you see in your future for your life. All right, try and wrap it up quick, guys. Should be wrapping that up. Remember, you're supposed to only share it to one other person, not the whole table. (laughs) Whoa. Almost went off. All right, let's wrap it up. Alright, we got a lot to get by here real quick. It's taken longer than I thought. We're going to get back to those dreams in just a little bit here, alright? And if you don't have a chance to do that, just set on that dream, alright? That dreamer dream. There's a Hebrew word in the Bible, especially in the book of Genesis, that is used for creating, for fashioning, forming. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, Yatzer. Yeah, I don't like using Hebrew words or Greek words because I can't pronounce them and you guys never remember them anyway. <laughs> but I just say that, in, you know, it sounded good. But listen, God created and he fashioned those things that we see in the book of Genesis. You know where it came from? From his mind. From a dream. From what he dreamed could be. Okay? Remember Alexander, he accomplished everything that he set out to do. What he dreamed, he then set out and he accomplished it. God had a dream, had a vision of that. And it came to pass. I believe that you and I have been created that way. We truly have. And I really, really, truly believe... That God wants those dreams that you shared, one, two, whatever it might be, to come true. I believe that with all my heart. I truly, truly do. I'm going to illustrate that to you. All right? I met my wife. She was 14. I was 16. We weren't even believers. High school, pardon? (laughs) High school sweethearts. We dated five and a half years before we got married. And... We got both, we gave our lives to Christ. You know, I gave my life at 19 years old. We got married when I was almost 22 years old. We got married, and when we were dating, I dreamed of us being married. I truly did. And it came about. And then once we got married, I dreamed of buying a house. I dreamed of having kids. We bought a house. We had kids. I'm a 5 fisherman. I've been fly fishing for about thirty years. I teach a class. I've been teaching a class for about eleven years with another guy. I'll guide up in our back country for about twenty years. How did I become that fly fisherman? I dreamed it one time in a sense. I saw a friend of mine, and when we were in the Boy Scouts, we were at the San Joaquin uh, River up in Mammoth area, and I saw him, you know, whipping it, you know, doing it. I remember I could almost close my eyes and see myself looking at him, and I went man, I want to do that. I want to be a fly fisherman. But the amazing thing about that dream that I had of being a fly fisherman, it laid dormant in my heart for 20 years. And I didn't see it happen until I was about 34 years old. There's a guy named Dutch Sheets. Matter of fact, Odie, how many of you went to the call? Dutch Sheets, I think he spoke. And that's what Odie said. And Odie I was telling him, I, was gonna, I really wanted to hit on this dream thing. And he sent me some of the stuff that, that Dutch said. He says this, and it should be up here. And this is good stuff. Life should be a series of dreams. Which when added together, equal our destiny. If you do not dream, your life will become too random. Driven by the winds of circumstances or the fickleness of emotions. You think about that. That's a powerful, powerful statement. Don't ever stop dreaming. You older people, I'm old. I can say this to you. Don't stop dreaming. I had a lot of dreams when I was young. I had a lot of dreams when I was a young pastor. And as we become older, sometimes we quit dreaming. I'm dreaming of my little grandson. I'm already teaching him. He's going to turn three years old. I've already had him casting last year at two. And he was doing pretty good. I'm dreaming of him and I fly fishing and my son and everything being there together. Dreamers change the world. And dreamers have changed the world. Let's take Edison out of here. Where would we be? We take the Wright brothers out of here. Where would we be? We take Steve Jobs. We take Bill Gates. You see what I'm saying? Those dreamers have changed the world that you and I live in. And if we stop dreaming, we'll become stagnant. We'll be, like, we'll be like cars that are stuck in neutral and we're never going to go anywhere. If I didn't have that dream of marrying my wife, I would have married her. If I didn't have that dream of, uh, you know what I'm saying, having that house and kids, I would have never got there. I'm getting close to wrapping this thing up. And you guys are not going to believe this, but I'm going to tell you something. I had a dream of the iPhone before Steve Jobs ever had it. Seriously. <laughs> Now, now listen to me for a second. Our old phones, you know, I mean, those big old clunky old phones and stuff. I remember I had this one from like Pac Bell. That's how old it was. And I remember looking at that one day and I was in my office. I'm looking at my computer. I'm looking at this and I'm going, "Damn, one of these days this thing's going to be, that computer's going to be in my hand. I had a dream. I didn't do nothing about it. That's why I'm poor. (laughs) And you've had dreams like that too. But we're wrapping this up. Proverbs 29, 18, King James Version says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. That Hebrew word for perish means unbridled, uncontrolled, or unrestrained. It can also mean naked, uncovered, or unprotected, uh, whether physical or emotional or spiritual. I know I've got you guys here a little long, and I'm really sorry for that, but I'm almost getting ready to wrap this thing up. Dutch Sheet says this, Where there is no vision, people are unprotected. We'll have this up here. And vulnerable to what? Wrong choices, compromise, and distractions that waste time and waste energy. Think about that one for a while, too. The Hebrew word for vision can also mean dream. Dutch Sheets again says this Where there is no dream or vision, we are like horses without a bridle or a car without a steering wheel or brakes. Out of control. And headed towards disaster. Proverbs 16.3 in the Amplified says this. Roll your works on the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to Him. He will cause your thought, that dream, to become agreeable to His will. And so shall your plans be established. And what? Succeed. Remember those dreams you shared but those people, you're only supposed to share it with one. I know some of you shared it with the whole table. But that's all right. He wants those things to happen, guys. If he truly does. But listen, and I truly am closing with this. There might be something you need to do. Remember? I met my beautiful wife at 14 years old. I was 16 years old. To get married, and I had to grow up. That was the first thing I needed to do. I mean, I was just a surfer that, you know, just liked to surf all the time. That's all I did. To get that house and get that family, you know what I had to do? I had to quit my job at Chicken Delight and get a real job. You guys remember Chicken Delight? We used to go around delivering chicken and all that stuff. I had to get a real job. That dream of me becoming a fly fisherman, it just didn't happen. You know what I had to do? I remember I looked in the L.L. Bean catalog and I got myself a video. That's before DVDs. Got a video and I got myself a handbook and I taught myself how to do it. I went out and I bought equipment. That's how I became that fly fisherman. So what I'm trying to say here is that each and every one of us has a part to play in those dreams and those visions that are in your heart to becoming a reality. Amen? You believe that? Let's pray. Father, those dreams, they're in the hearts of your people here tonight. My brothers and sisters, Lord. Some of those dreams, they've been waiting on them for a long, 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 long time, Lord. I pray that they would become a reality, Lord. And maybe if there's something that they need to do, maybe tonight you've spoken to them or even right now as I'm praying, that maybe you're speaking something to them and saying, hey, this is what you need to do to make that happen. You need to quit and just stop waiting and just start and do something. Reveal that to them, Lord God. Thank you so much, God, that you dreamed of mankind. that you truly did. And it was your love for us that caused you to create us, Lord. It was your love for us that sent your only begotten Son for us to die for us. Thank you so much for that, Lord. Thank you that we are redeemed now. We truly, truly are. Put more dreams in your people's hearts, Lord. Thank you so much for being our God, for being our Father, for being our Savior. Bless my brothers and sisters now as they go, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you guys.